Welcome back to Having a Gas, the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries. I'm Greg Owens. I'm the creative director here at Gas Music. Uh, we're a music composition and sound design studio in Manchester. And this is maybe the 86th episode of Having a Gas or something like that. It's been going for a couple of years since uh, pandemic time. And um, for the first time, I've decided to do an actual introduction and to try and turn this into some kind of more coherent audio content with an actual format so people understand what they're listening to. Um, I think it kind of showed I wasn't really even listening to the to the actual content. Uh, most of most of what we've been focusing on with having a gas has been trying to make it a sort of YouTube channel that people will want to watch on YouTube because it feels good to get a lot of views on YouTube. But this is fundamentally audio content for audio people, and so trying to give the podcast itself a bit more attention at the moment. And uh, this is the first attempt to do that. Let's see how it goes. Uh, so today I'll just be talking to a YouTuber called Aiden Kenway, who was uh, of great interest to one of my team here at Gas, a guy called Nathan DeGiorgi, uh, linked me up with Aiden. And Aiden is a remaker. What I didn't know what that means because I am already old and over the hill at the ripe old age of 30. A remaker uh, in Aiden's world is someone who perfectly, perfectly recreates the uh, beat of a, a famous track. And um, if you check out his YouTube channel, which I believe he's going to be calling Audio... I forget what he's going to call it. We talk about it in the podcast. Um, what you'll effectively see is him showing you how to remake the instrumental of... Nathan, what's the Drake track that he did on the one you showed me? His most recent one was Search yeah. and Destroy. Search and Destroy, yeah. So you can see what... He basically competently remakes the whole beat from Search and Destroy. Search and Rescue. Search and Rescue. Search and Rescue. Oh, bad. And um, what he does is he recreates it to such a um, level of... It's so indistinguishable from the actual... Uh, commercial release that he can play his beat from uh, I think he uses FL Studio and hold up Shazam and Shazam actually thinks it's the real track so that's the kind of that's the that's that's the, how you know you've succeeded as a remaker so uh, this was a matter quite close to my heart I was quite interested to have the discussion with Aiden because um here at Gas, you know, we've learned without any elders or mentors to show us our craft and we've had to kind of intuit how to make professional sounding music partially by watching YouTube videos and partially by listening to other people's music and trying to kind of copy the mix, so to speak, and figure out why a mix works and what the rules are across genres. So Aidan and I are kind of from different, from the same world in different ways. And so um, it was a great discussion. It was, it gave me an impression of what the kind of music elders of the future are going to look like. I think this YouTube space we're all in is is as significant as the community of studios where all the great mix engineers of today used to train. I think that's that, that's the kind of transformation of the landscape that we're looking at. So anyway, on with the show. We're going to go to the interview with Aidan now and I hope that you I hope that you get something from listening to it as I did from having the conversation. Here comes Aidan. I'm acting like it's 10.24 in the morning and, uh, and I've got my coffee. That's not the case for you. What time is it down there? Uh, it is currently 7.23. I'm mm. 23 minutes late to the uh, interview. My apologies. I got so you've, you've already lived all of Friday and I'm at the start of it. That's right. Yeah. Um, new music. Don't Friday. give me any spoilers then. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, I was going to ask you guys, what time... So as far as New Music Friday goes, yeah, I won't give you any spoilers about what happens in Friday. It's a big secret. Mm. Um, is it? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, um, the new music drops actually for Australia, like for like when when the clock hits midnight for each place in the world. So we would have received like um, the new music from like Jack Harlow and stuff, maybe quite a few hours before you guys potentially. I actually don't. If that is the case, that's um, that's brilliant, and it's also it's appropriate revenge for Australian release time, which usually in about 10 years ago, delayed things by about six or eight months. You know, I used to yep. um, be like, oh, you guys still don't have GTA 4? That's like, it's been, it's been out for yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah, so a bit of a give and take. I'd say. Why is that? Do you know? Um, I do not know. But uh, what's interesting actually is that um, being a remaker, um, um, especially when I first started out and I was trying to make a name for myself, like remaking songs as quickly as possible, um, I'd have my finger on the pulse very much as far as when new music is dropping. So like, yep. um, 
and like I, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Australia gets gets the new songs before anyone else. Or like uh, New Zealand will be the first one too. But um, yeah, it's a, I'm actually not too sure why why that would be. Like you'd think that they'd all drop at the same time, some random standardized time, like New York Eastern Standard Time, like twelve o'clock or something like that. Well, I imagine you know I work. Uh, sadly, I'm not as cool as you. I have like a day job where. Um, you know, I, I have to serve the corporate sphere. We work in advertising in the UK gotcha. and um, everything is about optimizing things so that your audience finds you as easy as possible and can mm. give you all the attention and feedback as possible. So I, it's probably something to do with that. It's like if we release it at New York at midnight and it comes out at, I don't know, three in the morning somewhere, then we're going to miss that immediate rush or something like that. Mm. You know? Yeah, so... Um, the um we could do we could make a feature of that. It's like Aiden uh, previews uh, stuff that we can't hear yet over here in the UK. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure if that's. Yeah, uh, I, I well, I mean, for the reason I was like happy about it with remakes is that like I'd be the first remaker remaker yes. to get the access to the to the new songs before anyone else. So I'd have a little bit of a, like a leg up when. And would you try and like get a remake done overnight or something so you could get it straight up? Yeah, yeah. There were there were times where I'd like like a uh, remake multiple songs in a day before the album had actually dropped before other other people in the industry so it's not very fair to them <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's, it's it's things aren't always set up in a fair way but i know exactly. you mean the re- reactivity and like how quick things need to be now is is well it's so much faster than it used to be because um um so I was asked, in a weird way, we have a similar job, but yours is an honest version and mine's a dishonest version, which would say, right. gas music here, we compose music for advertising. And generally what people do mm-hmm. is they go, we want this hella expensive track that we can't afford. Can you make something that sounds just enough like it that the client's still happy, but that isn't right. legally you know, problematic? Yeah, um, yeah. inspiration from something else to, yeah. And you, so are they like, so people, people can tell when, when you do that or is it like, um, hush, hush. Oh, it's, that's a surprise. It all sounds very similar. Like if you've done it badly, you can tell. I would say. So a, a composer came in to you know just sell his wares and and shows some music he's made. And I said, this sounds like a tr- like a really niche track called "The Quiet Earth" by Thomas Barrenden. He said that's actually the reference. So uh, you, you that go. means you've done it wrong. If I can tell, then AI will be able to tell. But mm. yeah, if you're doing it properly, it's like you know, there's nothing truly original. Everything's a kind of um, montage and collage of other influences. If you've done it well, you can identify your clients, the thing they really like about it, pull that mm. out of it, and then make everything else around that and it's completely different. Yeah. Um, but you're still fundamentally trying to m- make them as happy as they were when they first heard that track. But you are a remaker. You actually have to get it like bullseye exactly what it was. So good that Shazam actually yes. thinks it is fooled and that's like your kind of is that is that your um unique sort of is that your usp are you the only one who can do that it's like i can make shazam think they're listening to the real track uh well there's i mean not always not always but i think definitely uh accuracy has been one of the the main themes of the channel it's like mm-hmm. in comparison I, I feel like um we've done a good job of um separating ourselves um in the remake industry you know, as, as far as ed, the educational space, um, and people, you know, they 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 want to come to the channel to see how the song was made, not like see something that was kind of like how the song was made. Because like, um, I feel like a lot of these remakes, they might sound similar, but they're missing that that um, I don't know. It, it doesn't it doesn't have that specialty. Like, uh, there's something very special about um, the exact presets that we use from certain. Um, from certain songs, and if you get some one a preset that sounds similar, or like a drum sample that sounds similar, it, it doesn't have the same um, uh, enjoyment for some reason. For some reason, that that one preset that was used, it had yeah, I, I don't know if it's like the the will of God. It had to be that preset that was you know make make the pop the song pop off. But um, yeah, so I think accuracy is definitely an important uh, part of the remaking success of the channel. Do you find like, so interestingly, you mentioned, you you referred to it as educational space. And, um, you know, I'm, um, I think you'll probably be happy to know that I, I can't eyeball how old you are, but I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'm 30 and this was not really a genre or a dis, like a, a discipline on YouTube. When I was mm-hmm. about, you know, 14, 15, YouTube was just other people's old IP. Yeah. Um, when did you know the space you're in when when did it emerge or and two questions when did it emerge and when did you get into it and decide that's what i am now i'm a remaker that's a really good question and um it was definitely a 
answer your second question first, mm. it was definitely a, a gradual process. I didn't start out the channel thinking this is going to be a remake channel. And it's not necessarily entirely remakes, um, but that has definitely been the um, obviously the most the most common theme of the channel, like the the thing that people most want to see. So it's like you got to give the audience what they want. Um, so in a in a in an, uh, in an aspect, it was kind of like fulfilling a need that was um, requested for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it started off as like um, more broad educational content. And I was just sort of thinking to myself one day, like um, I often search up on YouTube how certain songs are made. Um, and like so, so there there was a remake space before me, um, that that was kind of like um, pioneered by guys like do you know uh, what the fuck Kyle that guy? I WTF don't. I'm afraid. He's he's another remaker in the space, and then you have um, different guys who um, don't put their face in front of the camera, so it becomes more of a um, uh, less of an educational thing and more of just a um, just a, a drop of the. I don't know, it's hard to, hard to explain. Like, like they're just showing their screen. They're not even like talking behind it. They just have like it's quite a, disembodied and quite ethereal. Yeah, hundred percent. It's very. Um, there's there's no human element to that, and I think mm. um, the human element um, came in recently with certain guys like WTF Kyle, and they they came in maybe two years before I joined the space, and I joined it around um, 2019 doing remakes. Um, my first remake was Ariana Grande's "Break Up with Your Girlfriend on Board," which is a bit mm. of a unusual remake for like it's very different to the theme of the remakes now which is like travis scott drake like hip-hop yeah. type beats and that sort of thing um but yeah so 2019 around the time when COVID hit that's when i jumped in and um uh that was the, i just sort of recognized that there was a big opportunity because so many people were just stuck at home um during COVID. and i mean you guys were stuck at home like a lot longer than we were i get the impression in really? australia yeah, yeah. I mean, I got the impression that it just, uh, you know, it's hard to trust news as an objective thing uh, in all times, but it was definitely being reported like Australia is just in another lockdown and another lockdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. And and that's uh, that was the case for us. Um, months, like half a year, at some, I think at one point it was just at home. And um, so I was doing bartending at the time as well as doing some casual YouTube videos just for fun yep. sort of thing. And... I'd, so I'd, I couldn't I couldn't work anymore. So I just ended up de- dedicating all my time to my passion, and um, and was posting a video every two days, and that eventually got to the point where the channel took off. And do you um, find that that was like being in a kind of like exposed to a really hot flame that you just had to like adapt to? Doing it really intensely and doing lots of it over and over again very quickly got you a lot better. Yes, absolutely. It was definitely mm. the the, qua- uh, the quantity over the quality. Um, just pumping out content. And that was, um, it was a big, I, I was exposed heavily to uh, sample packs and, and like my my sound selection and my presets that just um, exploded. Like, cause I was like, oh, a new song. And I'd be just researching it and people would say they use presets from this plugin and this plugin. So I'd be online downloading those plugins. And um, it got to the point where it, it really took off like at the point where I was getting enough views that I could message those companies and request mm-hmm. a free version. Like, uh, could you send me this plugin for free so I can show it off in my video? And they're like, hell yeah. So um, that's a good that's a good place to, um, good way to start getting free plugins is to be showing, is to doing educational videos on YouTube. Um, obviously not a lot of people have um, that, um, that fortune, but, but my specific niche allowed me to kind of, uh yeah message these these different companies and and use the channel as a sort of uh way to convince them to send me the plugin that i would both use in the video and also be able to use when i wanted to obviously now that i've got like a and as we call a uh, uh nf nfr download a non-fund <laughs> is it like <laughs> is it like it's like an nft like a non-fungible token no, <laughs> no. <laughs> a non-fungible uh, plugin. Uh, plugin, yeah, something like that. Like a plugin that I can't resell. Basically, is what they say. Um, okay, just, well, that makes yeah, that makes it all all the difference. It's like when you would get um, you know, this you go into like you know an I don't know, actor's um office in Hollywood or something. They've got all these you know uh, uh, 
you know film pressings that are like this is a demo so you can check it out yeah. um or uh, white label records is it like a white label record you know there's a guy over here in manchester like the only guy who still fixes analog tape machines and um he's got walls and walls and walls of blues records and when i was 15 i was really into that you know muddy waters mm. and buddy guy and he goes oh but here's a buddy guy white label from uh, chess records chicago it's uh, you know this was the test pressing here you go you can have it because he just got right. so many of them so yeah. you're going to be that guy when you're like his age 80 years old you've got all of the original uh, non-resellable <laughs> plugins the white I, labels i mean that's the goal at least i can't I'd, i'll be very very happy to do this you know to the day i die I'm, well, that's I'm, good, and, and yeah. I feel like we should, we should get into the the future, and I, w- I also want to get into the trends of uh, what you find cropping up most, depending on which artist you're kind of trying to emulate. But um, something I something I kind of want to know about, and I think that perhaps your audience you, there'll be evidence of it in your earlier videos, but maybe your audience, uh, um, certainly people like Nathan would want to see because it's the kind of part of the career they're in. Is what was it like when you were? you felt like you were banging your head against a brick wall at one point and you're like, what is making it sound this good? What am I not doing? So there was a time for me when I still hadn't understood fully dynamics Mm. and making things move with compression and I was just EQing Mm. and blowing up pillows in the low end and like, you know, I was like, this sounds like shit. How long did, did that period go on for a long time or did you find out that just doing it loads got you out of that? That's a really, really uh, good nuanced question and there's a lot of ways that I could answer it. Um, I think I'm constantly uh, learning new ways of like new secrets that certain producers are uh, using, and which is so beneficial um, to to my audience. Having like being able to teach them new techniques that um, that I haven't seen before. So I'm it's it's a fantastic job as far as I'm learning. I'm getting paid to learn, and I'm also teaching um, producers while I'm doing the the process. But uh, to answer your question. Um, one of the biggest, there's, there's a few different um, things that I've um, that have really leveled up my remaking process, and um, it's not necessarily like uh, techniques such as uh, EQs or compressors or something like that that stood out to me. Uh, the the big level up in my progress was learning new ways of analyzing the original work so that I could better. Um, learn how it was made essentially so like different ways of studying the audio um different ways of looking at it through the eq looking at it through plugins that analyze the um the yeah the stereo image of the sound and you can isolate the mid or the side um uh of of those of of the stereo image and um to analyze that specifically and you can um certain things like that there are also plugins that will like melodyne where you can analyze all the notes that were that it, it picks up that was being played, um, which is a fantastic way of picking up, like, like say, piano melodies, for example, and certain notes that you wouldn't pick up otherwise, but are imperative to the certain sound that um, that the end result has. Um, so there's that, and there's another plugin that I'll reveal to you guys. Actually, it's called Match EQ. So it's a Ozone plugin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ozone. Yep. Um, one of their plugins is called Match EQ. So I can play the original song and um, pick it up as a reference track on Ozone uh, Match EQ um, and or Ozone Pro Match EQ, Ozone 9 Match EQ. I've, I've used different versions of the same plugin. And um, then you can compare that to your own presets that you're actually recording. So um, for example, uh, the recent song that I'm working on is Drake's, uh, the, well, the AI yeah, um, Drake's. <laughs> yeah, Drake's. Song. I, I don't. It was actually produced by uh, Ghost Rider Nine Seven Seven, whoever that may be. Um, but uh, I was able to. So I, I, I was. I would record the um, one chord being played on the piano from that instrumental, and be able to see how how loud certain frequencies were, and be able to compare that to the how the volumes of certain frequencies to my remake. And better get an understanding of what needs to be, um, you know, increase in volume, where where I need to be decreasing, where I need to be EQing, and that can just help with just the overall precision of the remake. That's a that's a that's a tip that I haven't shared before. So that's a good it's one. A, we do yeah. we do something similar as well. We use Isotope's Neutron Four, and mm. um, it's basically the same thing. You know, you load in a reference track, and usually when we're at the end of the final mix, if we're trying to get it to sound like a certain track, we yeah. will put we will put that in and 
there is in fact a tool on Neutron for you. You know, you click the button, it goes, okay, I'm listening to your reference track and I'm listening to yours and I'm going to make a broad EQ move to try and yep. get them into place. And it uses a dry yes. wet because usually the wet is far too much. Is it the same process for you? Same process. And you can sort of, and you can increase how much you want this EQ to be twisting the sound. And, and, yeah. and But obviously if you crank it up, it's just going to sound like uh, really distort. overcooked yeah yeah ex exactly and it won't sound natural at all so it's more of a just an idea for general referencing and it's not going to solve all your problems um then there's certain ways of looking at the eq looking at how um for example uh people add chorus to a plugin uh chorus to a to a preset or something you'll see slight um increases in the uh <laughs> the the sound gets gets distorted in certain ways you have to analyze you can look at these things at yourself um this is truly amazing and i find mm -hmm. it so inspiring learning all the exact things that uh, producers uh do when they when they make their beats and it's such a fascinating process um the remaking so uh, one thing i'm going to be starting incorporating is doing actually live streams for um my paid subscribers okay. um so they'll be able to like just watch along. So like I'll have like a like a private Twitch stream. So I've just been remaking all day and just being able to respond to comments. I feel like that'll be a good way of just like there's lots of there's lots of um uh things that we're gonna be incorporating into the channel coming up. Um so watch this space. Um but I will say um when does this podcast come live? That's a good point. And you're a professional YouTuber with some serious cred and we are a kind of like a, uh, a, a rickety wagon hitched to the back of, uh, you know, a few galloping horses, by which I mean, oh. our, you, our YouTube behavior is really like uh, sporadic. And so yeah. because you're a pro in this game, um, when if you were if you were recording something like this, I expect you would want you would ex you would be trying to upload this by like, you know, it's Friday now, you'd want it out Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, how long would it usually take you guys to between recording, editing, uploading? What that what would that process look like? God, I wish there was an honest, like, decent answer. But usually, if it's like a really uh, high, if it's if it's a guest talking about something very current, which is what we're doing right now with the Drake thing, it's got to be out next week. That's yes. my view. Yeah. So we'll we'll Absolutely. try and get it out a week from today. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, wait, are we recording now? We are. It's happening. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Just, just a little curiosity from me. Um, you never know. You never know these things. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's one part that um, one thing that's been really scary for me has been uh, incorporating new members into the team, um, like letting go of that creative process. So mm. for me, the whole process of uh, creating the remake, um, uh, filming it, editing, uploading the whole thing is is done by me. And that obviously, there's so much I'm doing now that isn't the the main thing which is the remakes so how much have you outsourced how much of your workflow uh well we've had uh previously certain graphic designers and um and video editors come on and, and convert the long form content to short form content and create different banners and stuff for the channel but now we're um we're hiring a new um, video editor to just do the editing the entire editing process a social media a social media manager to um um, look after the socials and let me know if there's anything that I actually need to respond to personally. And apart from that, just like keeping people in the loop. Um, and then also an additional graphic designer to keep track of all the graphics and make sure everything's working, you know, appropriate. Um, so yeah, that, that, uh, that's all happening at this point um, with the channel actually changing. So if you say next week, I can let you guys know we um we're registering in for a new business name called Audio Masters. So okay. I'm going to be converting. So we'll be converting the channel from uh, Aiden Canway into Audio Masters. Um, that way, I think it's going to have more of a broad appeal, and it'll be able to um, just just a more professional outlook, and hopefully, it'll encourage different producers to actually um, become a part of the community. Um, because because right now it's very personalized, which has its own benefits as far as um, uh, me connecting with the audience. But if I wanted to ever sell the channel in the future, um, and if I wanted to appeal to a more broad audience, I would change my uh, change the name. So, for example, with your podcast, having a gas podcast is not the the Gregory podcast or the Nathan mm -hmm. podcast sort of thing. So, yeah, that's that'll be next week. So, once this podcast comes out, everyone will be like, "Oh, that's why you changed the name." <laughs> but it's interesting. It's interesting that you've point, made that last point because mm -hmm. I expect that it is going to go in. It is going to go in that direction. So, one of my uh, colleagues and, and producers here at Gas Music, a guy called Aaron, he said. Um, if you um, if your business needs you to be there in order for for it to function, you don't have a business. You have an individual, you know, with yes. represent with representatives, and you're mm -hmm. wanting to take it away from the 
Aiden Kenway enterprise that needs you or it will fall over to something yes. that can live on without you. 100%. And I, and I genuinely do think that um, these, these educational channels are beneficial to the community. And, it's, and I, I love good music coming out. So if I, if I feel like I can have some sort of hand in the education of people coming up um, who will later make the music that I listen to, then in a way I feel like I'm kind of giving myself a pat on the back. Like even selfishly, I'm like, if, if the music, if music as a whole improves like just by like, just like 0.01% because of the videos I make, um, then, then then it's totally worth it to keep the channel going on without me if I ever decide to change careers in the future. Well, that's good. It's not even a selfish um, expression because the operative principle is uh, something like what you just said, if I can contribute in small part to the world ascending towards heaven then that's a that's a great thing to do the psychopathic uh, alternative is i need to be 100 percent responsible for the direction of history and that's yeah, like the so. wrong headspace to be in yeah 100 so yeah i do feel like um obviously i wasn't intending the channel to be like like to some sort of ego stroke by having the name as my name yeah. but um, but it's it's not about me it's about the music so i'm, I'm more than happy to to step away as far as the name goes, the branding goes, to hopefully beneficial, or be more beneficial to um, the channel and the community as a whole. So, yeah, yeah. and 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 I suppose, um, yeah, the a ref, a, a similar uh, update or commitment from us is is like what you're describing there. So you, it is having a guess, but at the moment it does need to be me doing it. And also, I have kind of diverse interests. I want to talk to the guy I talked to from Cambridge University called Rob Henderson. Brilliant writer, uh, big you know business bods, um, people. Uh, they're not all appropriate on a music channel. So we decided, okay, wh what we should do is have having a gas be like Pensado's place, with Dave Pensado. I don't know if you've watched that YouTube channel. It's mixing uh, content. Okay, gotcha. And so um, it's like, well, that's appropriate for this. And then I can take. I'm doing the opposite view. I can take Greg Owens out of it and put it in its own space where I can just talk to whoever. Um, okay. So what would, what would this look like uh, as far as branding goes for this idea? What for the the one where I, I take me and my diverse crap out of yeah. it? Um, uh, I don't know uh, at the moment, and I'm unwilling to make promises. But the the lame answer is something more like Joe Rogan, where it's just whoever I want to talk to about whatever with no yeah. constraints. Yeah, um, and I and I I really like the idea of like uh, these long form this long form content for those. The, even though it doesn't have to be like a, a million whatever, like uh, listeners, whatever, just the, the people who do listen, it's, yep. it's, it's fantastic to give them as much beneficial, uh, as, as much benefit as you can. And um, yeah, no, it's, I really like what you guys are doing here. And that sounds like a really, really cool um, switch up for you in the future. I'm excited to see what happens. Very much appreciated, Aiden. So let's get back into the craft. Yes. And um, <clears throat> let's just talk a little bit first about um, the, fall, the, the, the kind of presumptions that you can bring to music production that can be completely thrown under the bus. Um, what I mean by that is, you, it sounds like you learned in a very similar way to how we learned because we had no elders. Uh, we had no one training us who was like a great producer. So um, so Aaron, my co-producer uh, co and colleague, he went through, uh, he got a subscription to Mix with the Masters and learned mm -hmm. from great engineers like Andrew Sheps from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's been on this show. Not from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who's mixed the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, Dave Pensado, who mixed amongst other things, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran, you know, is like one of the best in the business. Um, they put the, you know, they've put this big uh, channel on. It's like $30, $30 a month, I think, or something like that. Mm. And you just learn from the best. They just show you how they do their thing. You're talking about mixing with the masters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, and yeah. what was that? Sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic um fantastic idea. Like have these the actual pros giving yeah. you guys the, this this content. Yeah, what more could you ask for as someone for, who wants to learn this sort of content? Yeah, and for like for like thirty dollars a month, it sounds like a lot for a consumer level, but for a university education, it's that's insane. Awesome. And yeah. it's probably more beneficial because these guys have actually been in the industry. If you can't if you can't do, you teach. <laughs> That's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went on, uh, yeah, for example, I went on ChatGPT and was like, what, which one of the best selling records that Dave Pensado has mixed? And it was just like, you know, Christina Aguilera, beautiful, Ed Sheeran, Shape of You. And you're like, if I could have that as my lecturer in sound engineering, it's a yes. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be very much paying attention to what they'd have to say as far as mixing advice goes. More so than someone who's been like, you know, paid to be there as a, a professor. It's a very different thing. I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And when um, we really started getting into it, 
um, into the tracks, listening to the references. And one of the things we learned was from Sean Everett, uh, who makes the War on Drugs. He does the thing where he puts a multi-band EQ, solos the bands, looks at what's going on in that band through a frequency analyzer, and then flicks between the reference and your own mix and tries to get them as close as possible within that band. Mm. And you find out that things do not sound the way that you thought they would sound. Things are, for yes. example, a lot more mono than you expected, or there's like no brightness above 10,000 hertz. It's all very, mm. very... Did you find that when you started doing these remakes that it's like, at first you were like, I thought these were so different to how they actually are? Well, I, can I just clarify one thing first, as far as sure. what you said? That, that's um, so what. Do you know what um, plugins they were using as far as those um, uh, comparisons between the reference track and what they were doing, and like going through the individual um, uh, bands on the EQ? Like, were they doing like brick wall low pass filter uh, pil- uh, filters and stuff, or what, what was that looking yes. like? So I'll, I'll see if I'm good enough at this, which I'm probably not, <laughs> to um, to show you on the fly. So let's see, what's my screen share? There you go. Here's my. Uh, Cubase. Uh, let me just check how that looks on the StreamYard. Yeah, it looks pretty good. So the plugins that we would use would be, first of all, uh, this, which is, and that's the one Sean Everett would use. This is the Waves Linear Multiband. Okay. And so, you know, you would solo the low band, for example, and then we would be looking through the PAS, a frequency analyzer. Obviously, there's nothing going on this because mm. this is my recording session for this voice. Yeah. Um, and that's what we'll be doing, soloing, and then, you know, solo mm. the low band and see what's going on in there. And, um, you know, we would find things, for example, like we're in this mid-band and there's no kick. Not mm. at all. And then you go back here and there is kick, for example, and be like, oh, that's interesting. That's why it sounds that way. Did you, mm-hmm. did you find that? Were you kind of surprised by what you discovered when you started sort of looking at these records or listening to them more intently and being like, there's, they just don't have, they don't have what I expect. There's like no kick drum in the low end, for example. I, I really like this question. And honestly, like these really specific questions getting into um, uh, mixing, especially in like in, in reference tracks and, and, and band EQs and stuff like that. This is uh, uh, like and, and band filters, sorry. Uh, it's, it's very much up my alley as far as something that I, I use for my remakes. Um, so I've definitely noticed um, certain, certain things as far as uh, when people use samples and stuff, there's not much mm-hmm. you can really do as far as um, manipulation aside from EQing, compressing, that sort of thing. Um, but then when they, they're actually creating their own presets, you find that people will go occasionally um, using, well, actually I should say, using these EQs and that technique that you showed, I've, I've developed something similar using FL Studio as far as, reference, uh, as, far as analyzing tracks. Um, you can isolate certain frequencies and you will notice if something's there or not which is such an important part uh, process in remaking, especially if you want to do it super accurately. You need to know what's happening at every single point on the EQ spectrum for it to sum up to sound exactly the same. Um, and if you're listening um, just the sound in total, you're just going to be missing out. Like there's, there's no way the human ear can possibly be picking up the, on, these, on these very, um, on this minutia as far as, um, you know, uh, what, what's there and what's not there. There's just no way to tell. So it's so important to be incorporating these practices. But... Um, so, and the reason I'm so interested about this is that I've been doing this literally all day while, um, analyzing the, the new Drake AI song. Um, and it's interesting because certain notes, I'm, I'm honestly amazed by the complexity of the preset and the, the MIDI on this preset for the piano on the, on that song, which the, it sounds so simple, this piano melody, but to absolutely nail it, you need to know, like... The preset that that was used that was created by Ghostwriter nine seven seven was so complex. Like I've I, and it's it's actually amazing to me the the um, the plugin that he used, which I can confirm um, because like uh, I, I you can just see <laughs> uh, that that we're on the right track is was Addictive Keys um, as far as the, the piano goes. There's lots of different pianos that offer similar sounds, but this is the exact thing. The piano was mixed into mono, and um, uh, which is another interesting. Uh, thing for the final result that was actually uploaded to have a a mono piano. I feel like that's un- un- unusual. I don't know from uh, it's unusual out. because the piano is by its nature so directional because all of the low keys, <laughs> the low keys are down in the left hand on the left side. Mm. A lot of bass there. All of the brighter, you know, higher end is all up on the right. As a when you're playing the piano, there is a huge stereo component. 
Mm -hmm. 100%. But then when you come into something like hip-hop music, um, you can actually find strange benefits from different mixing techniques that wouldn't technically be um, correct. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you often see in certain songs, there is something special about this incorrect mixing that that you see sometimes. So for example, Look At Me by XXXTentacion, which I'd argue is his... um, I mean, one of his breakout singles um, that was mixed horribly um, in a technical sense, but it wouldn't have, have the song would not have been as special um, with that mixing with um, without this the mixing technique of having this just massive distortion on um, on the on the eight oh eight and having the EQ and the final result just being um, quite off um, as far as um, maximizing perceived loudness for the yeah. for the listener. Um, <clears throat> but with with coming back to the Drake AI song, what's it's interesting because there is something special. Even I can hear it when you when you uh, mix this piano, you make it mono. For some reason, particularly on a hip hop record, um, it just it sounds better, and I can't explain why. How why a, a sound when you're losing information by converting it to mono, why that would sound better than a stereoized version of the same? Yeah, so, like, would probably. You, yeah. Sorry, go on, Aiden. Would you have any clue or anything that you've learned in your in your time mixing that would suggest why a preset would sound better um, mixed into mono, like a, like a piano? Like I feel like that's that's yeah, like you said, in its nature, it's it's meant to be stereoized, but yeah. Well, it's um, it depends on how you want to hear it because I, it's the same seri- saying that there's a lot of information on the left and a lot on the right. Like uh, as I said, assumes that you should be hearing it as if you're playing the piano. If you're at a, at a if you're in a concert hall, up you know in the circle, the choir circle, mm-hmm. most of the piano sound is just coming emanating from the open lid, and that's a long way from you, and it's a point source as far as you're concerned. So it is more, it's quite mono. Okay. Um, or I think I can't remember. It was someone like George Harrison, someone of that kind of vintage, said that every sound is actually mono as far as you're concerned. You know, okay. and and you're hearing the you know you're just hearing that if if you're you know, in a um, if you're at a if you're at a gig seeing a rock band, you know, it's very unlikely that there's a lot of elegant stereo stereoizing going on at the live yeah. mixing desk, because some people are sat here and some people are stood over there and down there. So it would be inappropriate to try and craft a perfect stereo image. But That's, I digress. Yeah. It's probably important to bring to 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 what to um, remind people or inform them if they're not. Uh, aware of going down to these kind of rabbit holes that we've been going down, um, that there are many ways to skin a cat. So it's tempting as a younger engineer to be like, okay, the piano is mono in this Drake song or XXX Tentacion, whatever. That's why it sounds good. Well, if the plugin you're yeah. using is, if it's native instruments, for example, very stereoized, and you just printed it and uh, printed it in mono instead of stereo, you'd lose a lot of information. The other way of doing it is exporting it in stereo and just slicing the left and the right channels apart and using one of those as the mono channel. They will achieve a very, very different sound. And what you Mm -hmm. have had to get good at is by just using your ears, figuring out which way they did that. And is there a lot of of trial and error? Like, I'll try it this way. No, that's not the sound. I'll try it a different way. That's a bit more like it. Yeah, there is a there's a shocking amount of trial and error for sure when it comes to these sort of things. And um, actually, another point I wanted to add on top of this, um, just just think like listening to what you had to describe about um, benefits of sometimes having these these mixes and monos for, in mono for certain certain cases. I think um, in as far as this song being a hip hop song, um, and um, there's something beneficial about having a very coherent um, sample something that sounds incredibly simple, yet um, it can have some nuances behind it and just the idea of things combining together into one. And obviously mono is just is, is combining stereo image into one. And it also makes things sound, it sounds like there's less going on um, in, in the sense of, so all the same notes of the piano we're playing um, and they all combine to sound like, it's, it's like less notes are playing. It's, it sounds like they're all, um, uh, how do I describe this? Okay, for example, there were, um, with with this preset, for example, there are multiple microphones who are picking up the sound that you're all incorporating into the the final preset. Um, but then when you combine it into a mono sound, all those mics, all that that separate recording, just gets um, uh, crushed into one coherent sound, which um, I think might have 
contributed to the song's success because if, if I listen to the same preset in stereo, it no longer has that special, um, that special vibe that the original song had. So it's an interesting little point you made there. Um, but as far as, uh, yeah, as far as uh, like doing, um, listening to the same sound over and over again, I can definitely spend days, weeks, on months on the, on one remake um, to to get to the point where I'm happy with it that I release it. That's why there's been there's been songs that I've been trying to remake that people haven't seen behind the scenes, obviously, and um and those those videos those projects are now like 50, 60 hours of that I've spent on the one song, and they I got I come back to them at different points um to try and like listen to it with fresh ears. So I'll, I'll oftentimes as far as productivity goes, I will be um segmenting my time into 30 minute intervals of um, st- uh, studying and trying to replicate one song and then switching to a different remake, um, different remake. That way I don't burn out by listening to the same <laughs> freaking sound over and over again, trying to figure out how it was created. Um, so I, I mean, I've definitely been as far as this recent Drake song, because I've, I posted on Instagram claiming that it was a hundred, that it was a perfect remake of the song, which I've, which I've done. And everything except for the piano is absolutely nailed it. Like, like you can you can see it by looking at the waveforms. You can see it by looking at the EQs. Um, but uh, yeah, the the piano. There's obviously these nuanced instruments. Um, these nuanced presets are so much harder to replicate than finding a certain drum sample because a lot of producers tend to keep their um, samples relatively unmodified. They'll they'll try and find the right sample to use instead of modify a sample to the point where it sounds good. Um, instead of presets where they will heavily sometimes modify a preset until, pardon me, until it sounds point like it sounds, uh, what they want it to sound like, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, again, another huge rabbit hole to go down because, um, one of the virtual synthesizers, virtual instrument synthesizers I use all the time is it's a very popular synth called Serum, huge in, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the sales figures are, but it might be you know amongst the biggest virtual synths that have sold. And the presets, especially by the team at Serum, sound phenomenal. They sound mm. finished and ready to just go into a mix. Um, and so there's a temptation to think this is just a great sounding synth, and mm. I can make my own presets. And so you set up a sine wave and you start the frequency modulation. You're like. Ah, this sounds really weak ass. Like, how do you, how does anyone get making presets is a profession. It's not just 100%. a task. 100%. Um, and yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. As far as uh, creating presets, a lot of presets are actually quite simple. Um, you can you can tell when a sound is just a saw wave or, you know, and like, <laughs> saw wave is a bad example, but like, uh, you can you can tell when something is heavily modified to the point where it it no longer sounds like a synthesized sound. It sounds it, it sounds like it's got these beautiful harmonics and it it's very rich in certain areas. And you think sounds like it could be a real sound in a real place. One hundred percent, and that's and that's where the um, the special uh, the special nature I think of some of these serum presets comes out, um, which I've noticed. Um, it, it definitely it definitely has this incredible uh, uh, warmth. I've found the plugin for some reason. I feel like a lot of these plugins, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because it's all ones and zeros. It's it's hard to think that believe that one plugin would sound so much warmer than other ones. But I've definitely yeah. noticed that with Serum, um, it, its its older counterpart was something that was it was competing against. But I feel like it's out competing now. It was massive. Um, yeah, you know, that was that was that was massively more popular back in the day, pun intended. Um, but well, I was at, when I was at when I was at university, 2011 till 2014, and you know, massive was the thing where they were like, "Oh, if you have massive, then you have the same tools as Skrillex, who was the biggest artist when I was just going to college." Yeah. And um, it was like, "Yeah, this is the synth to end all synths." Yeah, exactly. And yeah, well, you mean like synth to end all hardware synths? Would you say or? No, well, no, it was more well, like um, you, it was it, the perception that we were sort of talking about it with was that you wouldn't need another synthesizer after you had this because of the wavetable, you know, modulation and the fact that mm. everything could be rerouted into everything like any modular synth. But because we were kids and we'd never seen those, we thought this was amazing. Yeah. Well, it's incredibly complicated, especially uh, complex, um, especially compared to its counterparts. There are a lot of other synths that don't nearly have as much uh, uh, versatility as as Massive does. Um, uh, I'd say, and and so, and I, I think Serum. Another thing that's p- appealing about it is for one, the way it looks. It, it looks it looks very like 
it's a very it's a very uh, hot plugin, and um, that's probably uh, adds to the the perceived benefit with all the exciting the graphic interface on that thing is just a genre defining thing. Yeah, it's 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 unbeatable, and that's definitely contributed. People who say graphic graphics doesn't doesn't contribute to the success of these sounds absolutely does because even the people who work on them they they um they spend much more they're able to spend much more time just because it looks more appealing you you don't get bored of the plugin you know yeah um, yeah I mean whereas, there's the, that's the kind of that's born of the kind of cynicism that's like I'm a musician I'm making music I don't need anything to look nice because that's kind of it's 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 it's, it's there's a book by a great great advertising mind and um, someone I've had on the podcast a few times a guy called Rory Sutherland it's called Alchemy if you're interested in the kind of thinking you're describing I would recommend reading it because it's kind of saying most problems are solved by a completely counterintuitive solution you know it's like yeah. you want to make the best synth of all time it has to look good it not 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 it does sound good but looking good is more important yeah, that's that's very well put. Okay, I'll definitely be checking that book out. Yeah, I've been taking notes by the way as you've been talking because I think yeah, you have a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge that I can gain uh, specifically <laughs> based on your. I feel like I feel like your trade is is quite transferable as far as knowledge goes into into my trade. Well, the interesting thing, Aiden, is that we kind of learned, you know, in roughly the same way, but, you know, I'm kind of envious because it sounds like you really, really like went through the baptism of fire much more aggressively because, you know, we were making music, but kind of that was, you know, part of the job. We were also trying to build this business and reach out to people and very traditional business kind of way, you know, like emailing and asking for work Mm -hmm. and you were just doing it. And then the success was just born of doing it. The question that occurred to me as a result of that process is, do you, by copying by or remaking uh, lots and lots of very high quality music, your subconscious intuits what's common across all the good mixes. Do you, can you make original tracks of your own now that you feel have a similar level of quality? Um, I would, I would like to think so. It's, it's so hard to, to compare your own music to uh, that of professionals. And I'm such a, uh, I'm a perfectionist, which I think is a, a big part of the reason why the, the channel, the remakes have done so well, but it's also, uh, why my my own music is so cripplingly long to create? It takes like like it takes an amazing like a shocking amount of time. Like uh, it, I was I was worse before. Like when I was you don't want to get over overly technical with the actual process of creating music, but you can just just dive into the technical nature of uh, when it comes to remaking music, which is that's just leaning into um, my obsession with um, figuring out why these songs work. Um, <laughs> And there is you. You kind of want to learn that, and then put it aside when you actually come to creating songs yourself. Um, but there are definitely um, techniques that I've um, that I've noticed that are very commonly uh, used in in music production that people would not pick up on. No one even talks about. There's this um, when it, uh, you'd know Travis Scott. Yeah, uh, yeah. He uh, he. Without fail, not without fail, but it is shocking how frequently um, they employ the like uh, they employ one five chord progressions into his music or variations on the one five chord progression, um, slight um, adding certain uh, notes that are out of uh, out, out of the the one three five and those chords. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just like you would not believe how often they just go tonic dominant tonic dominant chord in yeah. in this. Um, and it's it's it is actually outstanding. Like how many of these popular his most popular songs, and not just him, but like Drake, even the Drake AI song that employs a one five chord progression. And you see these bass these bass melodies that happen over and over again. And I think obviously there's, there's there is some there is maybe something yeah, inherently special about this sort of tension and release of the this thing, the very simple. Uh, chord progression, or maybe the one f- I've noticed one four chord progression is also quite popular in some of these tracks. Um, because yeah, I mean that uh, that was one four became so sweet and obvious for its sweetness in pop music that um, I noticed that Elton John r- only used that chord sequence for like the major- almost every time he hit the piano. It's one four. It's just mm. it's got a sweetness to it. One five has a properness to it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like um, especially when done in this kind of tonal way. Travis Scott will not sound 1-5 in a classical way, you know what I mean? No. But it's a very proper and very regimented interval. Exactly. And and it's amazing just seeing it like time and time again. And um and to be fair, I don't know too much about music theory. I didn't go I didn't go to uh, uh, university to study it or anything. I what I've what I've learned has just been what I've picked up from mm-hmm. research and that sort of thing. 
Um, what is interesting though, and I find I find um, conversations about uh, sim- about chord progressions used in these popular um, hip hop uh, instrumentals is is just not discussed at all online. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've noticed at least like when I'm trying to research these things, like why are these chord progressions just coming up all the time? No one even talks about it, which is interesting until you get to Chat GPT, where I I <laughs> I'll admit there are, there are times where I just do these deep dives, like asking uh, more and more <laughs> complex questions, like more specific questions, trying to figure out what what's the music, what what is what is the human psychology behind. Like why? Why? Like what are they doing? Like trying to trying to decipher because I think they they these guys absolutely have have picked up on like they've recognized um, some sort of special nature behind these chord progressions and stuff and they obviously they won't they're not going to reveal that to anyone they'll keep that very very hushed and and I think what's unfortunate there is that a lot of music producers come into oh I want to make a Travis Scott type beat and. Unfortunately, and they'll they, they'll have no idea about um, music theory and chord theory, mm-hmm. um, and it's so important to understand. If you're trying to make a Travis Scott type beat, you want to be using a simple chord progression, or for the most part, obviously, not not it doesn't have to happen every single time, and you want to add your own personal flair. But um, yeah, you need to be knowing. Um, the music theory and the techniques that they that they're incorporating every single time into their beats, like I, th- I think those are um, they're, they're finding a certain recipe that they that they're creating every, that they're modifying every single time, and they're serving it up as this fresh dish, which is just incorporating the same ideas that they've been using the entire the entire time. So I think um, that's something that I, I I would like to see discussed more is the chord theory behind. Um, a lot of these popular artists, because hip hop music specifically, um, particularly um, modern hip hop music, there is not a lot of music analysis behind these these genres. And I think that could be possibly um, beneficial to my channel, being one of the few channels that specifically dissects these songs, um, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Is I'm picking up on these these things, so I'm able to. Um, uh, t- sorry, I'm going on a massive rant about this. <laughs> no, no, um, it's it's it, 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 it's significant, which is why I'm not interrupting because I hadn't thought about it. But it sounds like what you're describing is that the community mostly is obsessed about the timbre of the sounds, which is to say the quality of the sounds, the the the, the textural feel of them, the frequencies, the distribution of loudness information. The harmony is not being discussed. You know, the, the selection of notes and chords are not being discussed. By the way, no. for anyone not to not to plug someone else while we're on a basically on Aiden's channel, kind of um, uh, is uh, Adam Neely talks a lot about this on YouTube. Talks an awful lot about harmony. Have you watched his stuff? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm not an avid sub, uh, subscriber to him, but I have seen occasionally. Yeah, but he's he's got some really excellent stuff on. Music was that a, uh, was that a veiled criticism? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, every I I am such a big supporter. Mm-hmm. Every other YouTuber, there's, there's no, it's not a competitive space. We're all yeah. friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, it's, um, but but there's a there's a publication or like a I, I forget what it was called. I uh, know I don't. It was called Tedium. There's a publication called Tedium, um, which is a you know basically a an alternative what blog site about stuff that you would have no cause to run into and and and, and to find the information. And it was talking. It was a great article about the death of the key change the death of the key change in pop music. And you know what? I'm going to try, I'm going to try and probably fail uh, to do something with my audio here that might help us out. So um, let me uh, change the input device. This is, this is wild. Um, uh, my editor will be... It's a, it's a big risk for the people who have to clean this up afterwards. Okay, so can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, now let's well, see something else. We can cut this out, but we probably won't. Anyone listening, if you can still hear all of this deliberating and prevarication, you have my immense gratitude. Um, Okay, okay, we're almost there. Can you confirm to me if you can hear when I do this? I can hear nothing. Okay, hang on a second. Um, That's hilarious as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, gotcha. God, yes. You might be able to hear your own voice as well, which I will attempt to just know. Right. The main thing we were talking about there was harmony, right? And so we're saying that it was about the death of the key change. And um, 
you know, um, what's a really good example? Uh, you know, in uh, Man in the Mirror, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, you get that... Um, if you want to make the world a better place, you take a look at yourself and you make that. And then it goes, you know, like huge uplift. And then suddenly you're in a... You're in this... It's a glorious... A minute ago, you were in... And then so going up to... I might have got the key wrong. Apologies if anyone can pick me out on that on the internet. The point is... They'll, you, they'll let you know. They'll let you, you know. You feel like you have... Uh, you know, Ella, you feel like you have gone into a slightly more transcendent place, not only because the music is in a different key, but because MJ is pushing it slightly harder to get slightly higher in the range. So it increases this sense of drama because you're fighting harder to sing. So, you know, mm. if you're at the final chorus of a song and you turn that volume up, you know, you turn the emotion up, creates an, uh, you know, an additional part of the experience. The key change has gone out of fashion because in hip-hop, if you change the key, you're not going to rap differently. No. But uh, Sicko Mode has, I think, three key changes. It's like the only hip-hop song or like the only modern song even with key changes in it. And that's the kind of thing that you don't hear talked about a lot precisely for the reason that you mentioned, which is no one's talking about the harmony in the... So just, just, just to clarify, when you say the key changes in Sicko Mode, are you referring to in the first beat before the switch up as in uh, when they're using um, the Rapman Wow uh, preset? In, in the very, in the very yeah. first um, minute of the... As he's saying, like, sun is down, freezing cold, you're hearing different, um, different chords playing. Or do you mean the, the three separate beats in the song? You, or you're basically, bo basically both, you know, is the, is the answer because what you've picked up on there is the reason people don't think of it as a key change is because it's a beat switch, isn't it? And so you think of it as a different piece of music. But yeah. because technically it's one song, that's a key change. And it's very yeah. rare that that happens. That's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I would say what I've noticed more recently with uh, Drake's album, Her Loss, there were more beat switches i think i think they're starting to pick up on the the massive um success on on uh sicko mode and there are there are, i have noticed a couple of key changes in certain songs like uh, another example of travis scott's song would be highest in the room where mike dean takes over in the outro who's he's actually classically trained in piano surprise surprise he adds a key change and mm -hmm. um uh, with the synths and and so there's there's I think I think there's certain occasions where they let the producer or, or the the um, someone take over who actually understands um, music theory to a high level. They're able to incorporate key changes very very nicely so that the audience is happy to just keep listening along. Um, but I think music, what's a little bit scary, uh, uh, just a thought that came to me now, is that. Um, Key changes are definitely discouraged in music theory. Oh, in, in sorry, in 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 music theory, in in hip hop production at the moment, and because because people really really want simple beats, and um, and I think that's that's partly in due to um, uh, people's attention spans becoming less and less um, due to platforms like TikTok and so and so forth, um, and it also become it's also because you don't need to become classically trained to understand or to start playing to be creating music nowadays you can just download fl studio and um you'll you can you can play whatever you want and people obviously have who will come up with melodies who have no idea about music theory um and you can stumble upon um a, a random selection of notes and and chords that you've generated which uh somehow um uh is, is is simple and it's um and, and it's uh very uh audib audibly pleasing to the listener um and there's also this 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 the power of numbers more and more bedroom producers are coming out more than ever before yeah um, uh, not coming out as like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the um, so so there's this, and and obviously you know, in a uh, a ever evolving industry, but that's that's needing more and more simplicity, um, because people's attention attention spans are becoming less and less, and people don't, and it's it's it, I've 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 read. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That um, uh, it it takes mental effort to be. Uh, listening to and and understanding um, changes in keys and chords, um, 
So for for the listener who doesn't want to work and just wants to listen to music more passively and like and not have to work and like it's mental work listening to complex uh, songs with complex key changes. You know, people don't like listen to classical music. Um, I'd say not because of the um, because of it's it's out outdated, um, but I think more and more because it's um, out of the convenience it's, it's of demanding easily. Yeah, easy listening is what yeah. people like more. So I think like if you want to listen to Beethoven's Ninth, mm-hmm. it's going to take an hour of your life. And mm-hmm. you're going to have to go through a, a, a fairly, you know, if you're going to concentrate on it and try and go with the music, you're going to go on a fairly pronounced journey through darkness and light. Yeah. And as 100%. you said, if you're, if you're in for passive, that's not a passive mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And, and one more thing I wanted to add to that exactly is um, uh, there's a song um, from uh, Baby Keem and Travis Scott called Do Rag Activity, which has a a one chord progression. It's, it doesn't change key. It's just a one chord the entire song. And I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a three minute song with one chord and it's this one chord playing over and over again. Um, it's shockingly simple. And uh, that sort of suggests to me just this, this, <laughs> the final stage in the push for, for simplicity in, in, in music production is just like, <laughs> we're going to play one harmony. <laughs> Literally. It's just, yeah. So it's getting to the point and some songs don't even have, um, any like uh, harmonic element, or uh, every song has harmonic elements to it, but like they don't have um, some. Some of them don't have even like uh, chords playing. They'll just have like uh, drums playing at this point, and um, and it, it's just it's very interesting to see the direction that um, that music's taking, and especially in in pop in hip hop music. I think that's um, in pop music there is there is still hope at the moment. People do appreciate a four chord. As they always have in pop, but I, but I've I've noticed, yeah, it's shockingly in 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 rap music this this push for simpler and simpler beats. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so. you know, um, there's there's an awful lot to, there's an awful lot that could be gone into there, but um, we're coming to uh, the end of our hour, and it's been very good so far. I think it's possibly the kind of discussion we should pick up when you have opened as uh, Audio Masters. Um, good memory. Very good memory. Yeah. So, uh, hey, it's my... Uh, I, work in, I work in advertising and all brand people want to make sure that you remember their brand, so you have to kind of make an effort to remember brands. Be like, see, it is appreciate memorable. It. Um, so, uh, what's, the, what's the rollout for that? What's the timeline? Timeline for Audio Masters? Yep. Um, this will happen over the, the the period of a week. I'm going to make this very very um, rapid change, and it's going to be um, not immediately on the channel from Aiden Kenway to Audio Masters. I think a nice way of incorporating it will be Aiden Kenway dash Audio Masters, and then after a period of months, I'd, I'd bring take off the Aiden Kenway and just make it about about that. And I think it's going to be a massively um, beneficial as far as a community on, on a community stance, and also like a brand stance. And um, there's just lots of benefits I think I see from. Um, yeah, converting it from a personalized thing to more of a business name. And also people I feel like um, uh, genuinely and then like as far as as far as Patreon goes, if you're more if people will be willing to support the channel, if it's not like I'm just paying Aiden, like and like um, it's I'm paying a business and we'll be yep. and as we employ more people, it's not just me that you're paying, you're you're paying the wages of multiple people who are keeping the show running as it as it does. So um, yeah, there's lots of different benefits I find from yeah, from this from this brand name change. Well, let's uh, let's let's catch up uh, at a future date because it's obvious that the conversation could always continue and um, um, and and see what we've learned in the in the interim. But um, mm. the um, the reactivity is how we start uh, started, or one of the first things we discussed. You know, it's 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 amazing to me that I can um, if there's a track that came out like five days ago, and I'm like, how do they make that synth sound? Usually, that's now. <laughs> already yeah. there you know so um so basically i suppose the work won't be slowing down but it, it, it's amazing where it's gotten you so far and um do you have aspirations to be you know do you want to be in the educational space or do you have aspirations to be like you know actually a producer with charting records that's an interesting question um i would not be opposed to um getting on some charts <laughs> i think that would be very cool and i think it would lend some um uh, some legitimacy to the business as well, which isn't something that I think is too important. I think people see that. I know what I'm talking about as far as um, remakes go, just just based on um, the number, the sheer number that I've done, um, and that's just been. Uh, but yeah, I, I, 
I'm not opposed to anything. I'd say, <laughs> I don't really have. Sorry, I don't have a, yeah, I'm open to, to doing either either side of the the coin of education or um, original work. Well, let's see where it goes uh, from here. But this has been um, a good discovery and a good session. So um, we'll leave it there for now, and um, we'll come back to this in the future. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be posting the Drake AI remake uh, soon? Yeah. That'll be that'll be next week. And let me tell you, I don't know if it's going to be two months or two years, but the music industry is going to change because of mm. um, artificially in, intelligent um, timbre um, uh, conversion from my vocals or anyone's vocals into anyone's he wants. Because um, point I was going to make <laughs> is I can or. You don't. You no longer have to charge. Oh, you no longer. You no longer have to pay a million dollars for a Drake feature. You can get one for free now, and for on the same uh, on the same extent, you no longer have to pay. Well, you no longer have to go back in time for like a Michael Jackson feature. Now you can get one for free. So I think, yeah, talk to me in the future, and I, I'll, I'll I'll reference this. Um, the music industry is going to change. Yeah. Better of yeah. worse. Well, we're all, you know, the giants are knocking at the door, as um, as uh, Jordan Peterson said the other day on stage. There you go. There you go. So let's uh, let's see where I think you know in six months' time it could feel like five years have passed. So let's catch yeah. up and review very soon, Adam. Thanks for having me on the on the show, Gregory. Thanks very much. Bye.